we got a sizzler for you today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Greg's Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Been in a motorcycle accident? Need some legal advice? I don't know. It's end of season. You got season coming up next year. You're forming a team. Maybe you're a rider. You need a contract. Reach out to our boy, Alex Asante, Bike911.com. Hi, Jason Pridmore. How are you? G-Dub, I can't listen to this music the same way anymore. No, that that we're not talking about that on this podcast. I've been ruined. All right, we, we you have two options right now. You can tell everybody what you're talking about, no. or we can talk golf and how you ended up winning, like literally stomping on PPs at a golf tournament in Santa I Barbara. Did. I did win a tournament. I'm happy to say I won a tournament. Yeah, it was boy. good. Congratulations. Yeah. Yep. Outstanding job. That was good. So, Me, I was only P3 at the national championship. That's really good, ago, though. So. I remember. It was good. That's good. It's all right. You're on the podium, G-Dub. Yeah. Like I said. Loser. About a year ago, G-Dub and I were talking about uh, he had the shanks with his bow, and I had the shanks with my putter. I had the yips, <laughs> and we're both yeah, we like, call, oh, we such, call a mental, panic. such a mental struggle. Yeah, I had the yips, and he had target panic. So we've worked our way through that now. So now we're on our way. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot better for me. I still got signs yeah. every now and then. One yeah. goes high right, high right, high right, high right. Happens. Well, congratulations Happens. on the big golf thing. If you're coming Thanks. to Jersey this weekend, make sure you congratulate JP by bringing me donuts. Uh, yes. Did I say that right? I'm donuts really for sure. G-Dub. And this week's pod, we're going to be talking about New Jersey Motorsports Park, Moto America Preview, MotoGP India. I'm pretty sure it's happening, okay, because there was like some big articles yesterday. Jay, did you see that? Uh, people getting stuck because their visas weren't cleared and all this yeah. big ruckus. But it seems like we're plowing ahead. I mean, you know, they have a few days to take care of it. Uh, but more importantly, we're going to be talking about World Superbike, and we're going to be bringing Steve English in here, who's a commentator for World Superbike, and talk about what's been going on, all the people moving seats, all kinds of stuff, including Aragon. So we have another one of these weekends, JP, where you and I are going to be on the air for eight <laughs> TV shows. Yeah. On top of that, we get to watch all the MotoGPs, World Superbike. It's going to be an outstanding kind of a thingy jiggy bobber. And it will um, be. Yeah, um, don't, we'll talk a little bit about MotoGP Fantasy, too, because I want to remind everybody to play along. That's but right. But before we do all that stuff, why don't we get into our news presented by Arai. Mm, doesn't have quite the same beat as the original, no, does it, Jay? No, but it's okay. I can handle this one now. You can. Oh, you're all right? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Helmets made by the dedicated hands of those who work at Arai have shown examples of supreme protection for decades. The numerous improvements by their experienced hands and personal desire to further the protection of riders' heads are among the many unique reasons Arai helmets perform the way they do. From our very first helmet to those we make today, rider protection remains our first priority, and we at Arai shall never forget the value of what we are protecting is priceless. And that is your noodle. All right, well, let's get with some Moto America stuff straight away, Jason, because... The Revit's Twin Cup is going to be, dare I say, oh, whoops, I did that. Dare I say beefy this weekend? Right? Oh, my gosh. Twins Cup's going to be so good this weekend. I mean, it's going to be uh, really good. <laughs> Flat tracker Dallas Daniels returns to road racing on a Yamaha R7. That's going to be the Estenson Racing prepared bike with Giacomoto, which is Chuck Giacchetto's company. Uh, ben Glotti returns to rodeo racing. Jason Avery Dreyer, who's the champion for Junior Cup, is going to be doing double duty in Twins Cup. and you have um, the Wagbar MP13 racing team. You're going to have Aiden Sneed, who's been in Junior Cup, go to Revit's Twins Cup. And uh, Filippo Rovelli is coming to the class again. Last time we saw him was at 
Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, where he finished second. Yeah. And was the number the first Yamaha. So what do you think about all of this ruckus that's going on in Revit's Twin Cup this weekend? Because it is going to be a stacked field of talent. Well, you got all these wild cards now. What's Dreyer riding? Do you know? I didn't look. Do you know what Avery Dreyer's riding? I have to look it up. But um, you know, I think the thing is is that is that um you know, for me, you got kind of a bunch of wild cards coming in with Dallas Daniels. He's going to be going there to try to try to do something well. Um, you got uh, obviously Ben Galati coming back. I really like the idea that he's coming back. Um, and and you got the the young Italian guy that's going to be riding for Melly, who we already saw, like you said, on the podium at Laguna Seca. So when you look at all that stuff, it it makes for a good race already. And then you have a race for the championship as well between. I believe it's um, Blake Davis, Gus Rodeo, and um, and Rocco. Now the the wild card there too is the weather. You know we've Greg and I be keeping an eye on the weather a little bit, and if it rains, um, that's going to throw another big wrench in this whole thing. So for your championship contenders who have really kind of shown themselves to be able to go to the front and battle amongst themselves, you got all these wild card kids coming in, um, and then on top of that, you've got uh, a, you know. The, the weather coming in as well that could at Jersey, Jersey and rain. I don't know if that's the best track that we go to for that. You know what I mean? So no, um, you're sugarcoating it. It is horrible. Yeah, it's awful. It's absolutely it's horrible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like the track surface is trash. They're repaving it after we go and, and it's been trash. I mean, I can remember, you know, uh, Tony Elias when he was on the top of his game on a super bike and he went there, I think he got lapped, right? Like it was so, yeah. so brutal. And, so right now, Jay, what they're calling for is 73 degrees and cloudy on Friday. We have 69 degrees as a high on Saturday with about 50% chance of rain and 74 with kind of a 43% chance of rain, you know, that the, the next day. So it's going to be hit or miss at Jersey without question. Yeah. Yep. And yep. yeah, it, it could it could rain in the morning, be dry race time, but you're absolutely right. At Jersey, more than any track we go to, I think rain is the wild card. And hopefully yeah, that all sure. gets taken care of this winter when they, you know, from what we're told, are going to repave the place. Repave make the, the place, place so much better. Because, Jay, I know people that won't do track days at Jersey now yeah. because the, the grip in the dry is so low. Let alone yeah, it's rain. definitely going to be a problem. And if it, if it's wet, you know, I remember I remember when we went there the one year when it was really bad. Maybe our first year uh, might have been our first my first year without Americans. Yeah, it was really really bad, and it seemed like it actually got better in the rain. I know last year they raced in the rain there, um, but yeah, I, the weather part of it to me that will be brutal for for all the riders and the fans because we get a big fan turnout at New Jersey as well. So. Hopefully, hopefully we can get some dry yeah. racing in while we're there because I know it didn't look and, and very good. News, very promises. Good news, yeah. your yeah. your stupid Eagles aren't playing this weekend. They don't play till Monday Night Football, mm. so that's also one of the things that's good. It's helping Moto America is that people aren't distracted by your little, you know, the two and O, the two and O Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to MotoGP because uh-huh. uh, as my O and two Patriots. Mm-hmm. They're they've been in it, buddy. They've been in it, but you know what I mean. Uh, they have. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You know, we're we're still building. We're three years. The best zero and two team in the league, huh, G Dub? No question, hands uh-huh. down. I mean, I don't Great. think there's Congrats. a discussion about it. Frankie Morbidelli leaves Yamaha, goes to Prima Pramac Ducati, and Takaaka Nakagami ends up staying with LCR. 
your thoughts on Poor these guy. two big, huge news items? I mean, the, the Taka thing isn't that big of a news item, in my opinion. And really, the Morbidelli thing isn't either, because that's been kind of in the cards, hasn't it? So it sounds like Morbidelli was going to go there either way. Poor Taka. He's just got a life sentence over there at LCR, I think, with the Han team. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, um, but where is he going to go? Like, this will be fun, because when we talk to Steve in a minute, it's, um, you know, you look at Honda World Superbike right now, and... It's all depending on one guy right now, you know, where Marquez is going to go. What's he going to do? Like what is happening there? Because it's going to affect a lot of different people. But for Taka, I mean, like I said, he's back there again. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's for him. I love, dude, I love the MotoGP press. They're just like the door closes at Primac Ducati for Marquez. His yeah. options are, I'm like, oh my God, will you please stop? Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember that ever being the talking point. You know, I thought no, him going with his brother to Grassini is a lot has, had a lot more weight to it than the Pramac thing because you know. But Morbidelli, it's going to be good for him. It's going to be a good move for him. Obviously, he's got to be happy with that that slot. And um, yeah, funny that Zarco gave that seat up. That's a whole like we talked about before, and he gave that seat up, and now um, Morbidelli sneaks in there. But I think that the Morbidelli. Martin teammates thing could get interesting. You know, I don't know. Martin doesn't, he seems like he likes to play in his own, he likes his own field. You know, I don't think he really, the teammate part of it for him is, is going to be interesting with Morbidelli moving in there. So we'll see. see. Hey, hopefully it gives Morbidelli a shot in the arm. The guy obviously before his injury was wicked talented, even yep. on a bike that was already starting to kind of fall off on the Yamaha a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he won like two or three races. I can't remember how many yeah. won, but I think, I think he won three, but yeah, pretty, pretty wild. So we'll see how there he gets go. on. He's going to like it. That's your news presented by Arai. Hey, real quick. Did you see the Michaela Moores riding there? Uh, she's riding a, a junior cup bike at Jersey also. Awesome. Very good. Yeah. She's got a lot of laps around there too. Oh, does she? That's back where she is from, huh? Yep. So mm-hmm. it'll be fun to see how she gets on on that bike. Yeah, I went to I went to NC Bike over the weekend to see Jeff White, and I thought I was going to see her and a couple other people there, but ah, they were doing a track day. I was wondering what that picture was that you put up. Yeah, I was at the range, and I remembered that Jeff White was at NC Bike on Sunday, and then I called him up, and I was like, how was NC Bike? He said, dude, I'm still here. And I was like an hour and a half away, so I was like, I just kept driving. Wow, what a good brother. In. You actually went and took time to go see your bro and his $150,000 BMW. Good for you. <laughs> Dude, there was a, one of the coaches came over because he was coaching with N2 or whatever track days. And, and the coach came over and, and they were busting his stones because he has got an Aprilia. He's got an Aprilia, whatever, you know, the super bike, the thousand. Yeah. Sitting Who there, does? Street trim. Jeff White. He's, he brought his Aprilia and he brought his ah. Titler's BMW M1000RR. Okay? Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And this one kid was like, oh, uh, you know that. Uh, what if I trade you? He goes, can I ride that that BMW? And I was like, I don't think so, dude. I'm like, I don't put think a stack so. Of, I was, yeah, Jeff was like, uh, I'm like, unless you put a stack of cash in that table. And this kid was like, well, how much could that bike possibly be? Like, it's like, dude, this is Corey Alexander's bike from last year. Jeff bought it. Guy's like, oh, uh, uh. I'm like, he's like, that's my truck over there. I'm like, your truck can't cover it, dude. Yeah, telling you. sorry, buddy. Yeah, go get yeah. your truck. Go get your 1985. The problem yeah. was like, Jeff's been riding this bike since Chuck Walla. Right. Yeah. So the chain yeah. is completely kinked. And he's like, yeah. Do you think I should ride it? I go, No. I go, You need to park it, dude. We saw what happened with Tyler O'Hara on the yeah, baggers. That was bad. Dakota. 
I go, that you got bad. this bike right here. And this dude was like, oh, look at you, man. You can't decide whether you want to ride the BMW or the Aprilia. And I was like, hee, Meanwhile, so I got a 24 horsepower, you know, Royal Enfield Himalayan that my buddy's had for oh. over a year that I haven't seen. You know what they yeah. say? The bro deal is a slow deal, man. That's what so they come say. on, Billy Moon. Let's go. Riding season's getting ready to be over here. Billy Moon probably doesn't know you do a podcast. Oh, yeah. Bill knows. Bill's okay. Good dude, good. Man. All right. Thanks, Bill. Oh, yeah. yeah. Take your time, Bill. Take your time with All that right. thing. Anything else? No. Let's get our boy on here. Okay. Well, I'll do it. All right. So time to talk about World Superbike. Uh, let's get caught up. Please welcome in our colleague on the world level, Steve English. Hello, Steve. Hey, guys. Good to be back on with you. Yeah, I don't know what you just said, but yeah, it's good to have you here. <laughs> Tell you what, if I start calling you a lot of names under the sun, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> yeah, you will. He'll be. He's used to that, though, Stevie. <laughs> he's used to that. Say, say green hearts, purple clovers. Uh, anyway, so Steve, good to have you here. Uh, World Superbike, man. Why don't you get us straight away? Let's get caught up on World Superbike because let's talk about silly season. Get us caught up as to what is going on. Give us the highlights as to who's moving what, who's doing what, and where's everybody going. Well, obviously, the big news was Jonathan Ray going to Yamaha. You talked about it on last week's pod, but now we've all had a bit more time to digest it. We've all been able to see exactly what the situation is, and it's very difficult to see it as anything other than a positive for the championship. Johnny's six-time world champion. He's going to replace Top Rack at Yamaha. Yamaha keep top rider. Top Rack moves to another another team, a new challenge for him, but everything should keep rolling at the front of the field. I think for Johnny, it's really important to have a new challenge. He's been at Kawasaki for the best part of 10 years, and that goes stale. It doesn't matter how much success you've had. It doesn't matter how much you love the people around you. You need a change every now and then, and 10 years with the one team was time for a change. And also, that bike's not competitive any longer. It's third best bike on the grid you could see it being the fourth best bike on the grid pretty soon especially when top rack jumps onto that bmw so now's the time to make that change for johnny and well arguably it would have been a few years ago really to make the change but he's got a chance now to try something new he's going to go up against bautista on the ducati and at the end of the day you can't really imagine a situation where anyone goes to yamaha and does a better job than top rack but you can imagine a situation now where someone goes to yamaha and does as good of a job as top rack So I think that's what's going to be exciting to see what happens next year in terms of the rider market. And then right now, the only real question mark left is what's going to happen at BMW? Who's going to be on their bikes? Where's Ianone going to fit in? So there's a few things still at play, but it does look like in terms of the BMW situation, Top Rack and Vandermark on the factory bikes, Gerloff and Redding on the Bonovo bikes. And then for Ianone, he's just going to filter in on one of the independent Ducatis in all likelihood the Go 11 Ducati. And then you've got everything else that just kind of relies on what happens in MotoGP. Does Mark Marquez move? Or if he stays at Honda, then Honda keep their lineup in World Superbikes as well. So then Rinaldi needs to find a seat. So, you know, there's a few balls in the air, but is it the stuff that's going to make massive headlines? Not really in World Superbikes anymore. We've got those big headline moves that have already been made. And Petrucci's re-upped. He's going to stay with Barney as well. Yeah, no surprise with that as well. Like He's done a good job with them. From Mizano onwards, he's been able to be a top five runner. And that's as good as you can really expect in a lot of ways. I think it's easy to look at Petrucci and think, oh, MotoGP race winner, a guy that challenged for a championship in Moto America, Dakar stage winner, and, and think that he's going to come in and be a front runner and win a lot of races. At the end of the day, you're up against Bautista, Top Rack, and Johnny. So it's very difficult to break yourself onto the podium on a regular basis. So I think for 
Petrucci, it made perfect sense to stay where he is. I think it would have been a massive surprise if he had been tabbed to move on to the factory bike or anything like that. I wrote down a bunch of notes, Steve, because I knew we were going to have you on. So as usual, uh, you know, what? thanks for coming on with us for sure. Um, did, I know me doing notes, notes GW. I did. I did Ooh. notes. I really did. I wrote some All shit right. down. Hey, I mean, it's the dawn of a new day, folks. Yeah, it's pretty I'll good. I'll tell you what. It's a clear situation that there was a big queue in Pete's and you just got that while you were getting your That's coffee. That's right. I just got that while I was getting my it's coffee. putting in the time in the afternoon. That's all that matters. I think the big the big thing for me when you say kind of uh, these guys have moved, I you know, look, when I when I when I saw the bat uh, the top rack move first off I thought was was interesting. And then Johnny's move um, you know, a couple months ago when that started getting spoke about, it was interesting too. And and I guess my question is, you know, when you start to look at the top two guys that have been battling with Batista, how many races will they win? Or would you predict that they could even think about winning next year? I don't see, I think, I think that without discrediting him, I think the top rack will have a little bit more trouble on the BMW than he did when he made the transition from Kawasaki to Yamaha. Um, I think the Yamaha team has an unbelievable network of people over there that, that were able to help him really get going. Um, what's talk on the street amongst you and journalists and, and there about how they feel Top Rack is actually going to do when he moves over to that BMW? Well, Top Rack's an interesting one because the expectation is he's going to struggle because everyone struggles with a BMW. Mm-hmm. But Top Rack's not like everyone else. Top Rack is the best rider in World Superbikes right now. I think if you were to you know, do a blind taste test of all the team managers, who do you want to have on your bike? They're mm-hmm. all going to pick Top Rack because... He's younger than Johnny. He's able to do things that no one else can do. That's the thing that makes Top Rack special. I've said it on the pod with you before, that that's always been his big thing. Corner entry, there's no one like him at that stage. So he yeah. can do things there that everyone else struggles to do. Johnny, on the other hand, is relentless. He's so consistent. He's impressive on the bike. So there's there's things that he does that other riders can't really do, but they can't or they can't replicate it on a regular basis. Sorry, guys. Just give me one second here. That's all right. <laughs> um, I noticed Steve can still still hear us, even though he's disappeared for a second. I think the other question I have is is Johnny's ceiling on the on the Yamaha, knowing the group that he's got around him, the people that he has there. Um, my big question there, I guess, is is does Johnny? I mean, what's he got? Just one win this year, I think, in the sprint race. Um, at most, I believe, was a rain kind of weird race um i guess for the me other is thing, jay, the other like, thing jay though is that you you have to think that johnny's able to see something on the racetrack that we don't see like it seems yeah. like if you take the breaking out of it it feels yep. to me like the the yamaha is pretty equal in performance to the yamaha but the kawasaki you mean the kawasaki oh, is pretty the, equal yeah. but the, it's pretty equal to the yamaha but the, the magic of top rack is him breaking into the corner right and yeah. then the magic of johnny is going to be more corner speed type stuff yeah so like if, if the, the problem i have is is number one since no one else does anything on the yamaha but top rack i mean every now and then you know somebody will be up there Locatelli's there or Locatelli's right. there occasionally right like yeah, yeah. but w- what's going to happen with the development of the bike how much testing are they going to have the off season to make that yamaha johnny's bike and not top racks bike because johnny can't ride top rack you know top rack bike I think, Steve, go ahead. Do you know what? You say that. And the thing with it is, like, when Top Rack jumped onto the Yamaha, everyone thought, oh, there's no way Top Rack's going to be able to ride this bike like he does the Kawasaki. 
because even whenever he was on the Pichetti bike, you always saw him end the winter corners and just be strong on the brakes. He wasn't quite like he is now where he was almost unbeatable on the brakes, but there were times during that season where you could see what he was trying to develop his style towards. He jumped onto the Yamaha. Jay, you're dead right when you said that for top rack, the transition is going to be harder now. The reason for that is already the Yamaha was a good package. Lowe's and Vandermark finished third in the world in 18 and 19, and they won a lot of races between them. There were a lot of podiums. So we knew that the Yamaha was a good package. That's why it was easier for top rack to jump onto that bike, transition his style to it. Johnny is the king of adaptability. And I've always said it, when you look at Johnny's style on a bike, it's like no one else's. Same as Top Rack, really, in some ways. But for Johnny, yeah. it's his body position. Like At the end of the day, Jay, if anyone turns up to your riding skills now and rode a bike like Johnny, you'd look at it and say, no, no, your body position's wrong. You need to have your weight more on the inside and this, that, and the other, because that's where everyone else has it. But the reason that Johnny has so many amazing saves, you think back to Mizano last year or a lot of races last year, whenever he just pick a bike up, it's because he can move around a lot more. And yeah. when you look at it, it's a very untraditional style. It looks almost like something, a throwback to the 90s. But that gives Johnny the ability to yeah. move around on the bike a lot more. It took him years to get his elbow down. Alpine Stars didn't even put elbow sliders on his leathers yeah. until, I think, the start of the last season. So yeah. for Johnny to jump onto the Yamaha, he's got enough room in his, in his position on the bike to be able to make that bike work for him. He's going to be good mid-corner. He's going to be good on the exit of the corner. And he's good on the corner entry as well. It's not mm-hmm. top rack level, but it's it's good enough. So for me, Johnny's going to jump onto that bike and immediately be very competitive. He's I going agree. To be as good as top rack challenging for wins, and that's what's going to make it special. I think when you look at it, Greg, you're dead right when you say that there's a drop-off in performance from top rack to the other Yamaha riders. But you've also got to wear Locatelli's fourth in the world championship. He's a number two. There's nobody that looks at Andrea Locatelli and says, I've got to have him on my bike to be a championship contender. Yamaha didn't look at it that way. They said, we can't win the championship with Locatelli. We need to bring in Johnny to replace Toprak. So there is a drop-off, but at the end of the day, the number two's role is to do what he's doing. I think when you look at the next Yamahas, Agatha and Remy Gardner, Brad Ray, you know, all these guys, they're good riders, but are they the finished article? Are they championship contenders? No, they're not. You know, Donnie's yeah. had some good qualifying performances. He's had a few good races. Brad Ray was very good at Imola, um, Most for Remy Gardner, but they're not the complete package. And in World Superbikes right now, you've got three riders that are that complete package. You've got the top three, the lead rider for those three manufacturers. Everyone else is a big question mark. Scott Redding's a question mark at BMW. You know, next season for you know Lowe's and let's say it's Axel Bassani jumps on as his teammate. There's question marks for both of them. There's so many really good riders in that P3, P4, well, probably P4 down to P18. It's up to them to separate themselves and show that they can go with the top three if the team is built around them. Right now, we don't have anyone that can do that. It's a question mark. But maybe that changes over the next year, two years as well. And you never know what's going to happen. Bautista, when he retires, and it could be as early as next season when he retires, who do Ducati replace him with? They can't replace him with a Rinaldi. They've shown that they don't have the faith in Ronaldo to do that. So they've brought in Bulaga as a super sport world champion. See what he can do. Sam Lowe's jumps onto a Ducati next year. Ian One's on a Ducati. Rinaldi or Bassani will be on the Moto Corsa bike. So now's the chance for all those riders to show I can be that top rider for Ducati. So this is where I think everyone's kind of in a little bit of limbo now because they can rely so much on their lead rider. 
When you look at when you look at Pisani, let's talk about him because it sounds like he's going to go to Kawasaki possibly, even though it kind of got announced already that he's going to probably be back with the team he's on now. Um, I find it interesting because I think it will leave a door open for Rinaldi. I don't know what's going to go on with Honda. And we said earlier in the podcast, it depends on what Marquez does. It's going to really determine where Honda ends up. What would be Honda's motivation to hire a guy like Rinaldi at Honda when they he's been on the best bike for the last three years and he's done well at some races. You and I have had this discussion about Rinaldi a bunch. Um, for me, I think Rinaldi and Bassani should have stayed that either one of those guys, whoever it's going to be the motor Corsa bike right now to me would be a better platform for them to ride than maybe the Kawasaki at its current form. Uh, Kawasaki right now is doing that kind of on the downturn. Like we've seen from Honda and Yamaha and MotoGP. I'd love to see Kawasaki come out with some new stuff and make the bike better. But Johnny obviously saw the writing on the wall. Is it just, is it strictly just the money side of things that was, that's going to make Bassani want to jump over to, over to Cowie and leave a bike that he could potentially win on? It's just the money thing. I'll tell you what, I've said it a few times in commentary in the last couple of rounds. Cash makes up all your decisions in racing. We can look at it yeah. ideally. We can look at it in an ideal world. What would you do if you're given the choice between a Kawasaki and a Ducati? All things being equal, you're taking the Ducati. But if you're mm-hmm. being offered a factory contract as a Kawasaki rider versus an independent contract with Ducati where you've been turned down two years in a row for their factory seat, you've got no future at Ducati. You've yeah. got the chance to be a factory rider with Kawasaki. If you get this contract, it's two years as a factory rider. And then in two years' time, when you're negotiating for your next contract, you're able to say, hang on a second, guys, I'm a factory rider. You need to pay mm-hmm. me like a factory rider. Right now, he doesn't have an option like that. Bassani's got a few good sponsors by all accounts. He, you know, he's making 150, 200 grand a year. Is that enough? Not really for, for a rider that's been able to be so competitive over the last few years. He wants to be a factory rider. He wants to earn the 250, 300 grand, 400 grand, whatever he sees as his figure in his head. He can mm-hmm. do that as a factory rider. He can't do it as an independent rider. And, you know, if he's at that point in his career where he needs to make those decisions now as well because he's 25 next year. He's been around a fair while. He's yeah. done a really good job in the Ducati. But is it good enough? He hasn't won races. Rinaldi won races as an independent rider. Bissani's had podiums, but has he had enough podiums? You know, you look at it this year, he's had two podiums. Last year, he had three. The year before, he had one podium. You think that he's having these these races where he's right at the front all the way through the season, but he isn't. He's having yeah. you know a couple of year. So he yeah. needs to make the next step in his riding and avoid making some of the mistakes that we've seen from him. He needs to keep a cooler head, but he needs to, to make that step. And I think he's the one rider that if you're Kawasaki, you're looking at because you go in the championship positions, he's P5, he's the highest rider available. Yeah. He's yeah. the guy that, that can come in as a young rider, factory rider, they can mold him. He's raw, but so was Loris Baz. So was Juan Lascours. You know, Johnny wasn't. Johnny was the finished article whenever he arrived at Kawasaki. But maybe a young rider like that, it's enough to keep someone like Per Reba happy and keep him in your team. You, you never know all the mechanisms that are going on behind the scenes. But if I'm Kawasaki, I'm going after Bassani because he ticks was, more boxes for them than anyone else that they can hire. Was his. Unless, like, unless it's a, a Fabio Digi Antonio. Antonio. Yeah, you can get Digi wow. in. That's a different story, but that again depends on what happens with Marquez and lots of different things. So, all things being equal, it's probably going to be Bassani that gets that seat. Yeah, well, we've heard the Dizia talk before, but again, we don't really know. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one. I think, was it the final nail in his coffin when him and Rinaldi got together at Catalonia? In Bassani's um, coffin, I'm saying? I, th- I, think it, I think that was done before that. You know, was because it? both of those riders only focus on each other. Yeah. And I remember when that incident happened at turn three, when Rinaldi went underneath Bassani, yep. I said straight away on comms, Bassani's going to come back. And then down at the end of the back straight, yep. I shouted over Alex and I said, he's just going to gas it up. And he just went straight into Rinaldi yeah, because it was proper, it was jail yard tactics. If you're coming yep. at me, I'm coming back at you. Yep. For me, looking at it as, obviously, from the outside, Bassani's in the wrong for what happened to cause that crash. Rinaldi makes a small mistake, this, that, and the other. But Bassani also has no choice. If yeah. someone's done that to you, you you can't be you can't be seen by the whole paddock as being the big scaredy cat that got taken out by another rider and then you take a step back. You need to be fighting on your front foot all the time. And that's why Bassani did that. And that's why Bassani is fun to watch. Now whether or not I'd want to have him on my team is a different story. Yeah. But I want to have him on a good bike next year. I want to have him where he's he's still there to be competitive because he is a talented rider. But yeah. now he needs to prove he's that rider on a bike that isn't the best bike on the grid. So let's talk about Honda then, because Honda has had a lot of hype over the last five years. They've had a number of riders on that bike now. And you look at Xavi Vierge and you look at Lekawona. I feel like Lekawona's stock, in my opinion, has gone down since he signed with Honda um, for the factory, the World Superbike team. I know you're so much closer to it than I am. I feel like Honda's loyalty to him now, if you remember back in the day, uh, and I know you commentate the Suzuka 8-hour. You win the 8-hour, and you're kind of in with Honda for as long as you need to be, it seemed. Now the 8-hour isn't as competitive as it used to be. Lekawon has won it a couple times. Um, I find it, for Lekawona's purpose, going to MotoGP right now on a Honda, I don't think is a fantastic career move. Maybe he's going to pocket a bunch of money and put it in the bank. That That would be all right. That's if Marquez moves. What's Honda's next step? I mean, there's guys like... There's guys like Baz out there who are probably going to go without a ride. Um, Redding. I mean, what? why? I guess Redding's going to probably stay with Bonovo, like you said. Would he be on the list of people? We haven't even talked about him. I mean, why wouldn't he get hired at Cowie? Why wouldn't he get to Honda? Is I mean, for the reasons that you and I have discussed on the side, um, it kind of shocks me that like Redding doesn't get a, a, a maybe a chance at Honda, maybe. Well, one of the things that's quite interesting, obviously, off-air, whenever you were over in in Europe, JP, around the British Grand Prix time, we talked a lot. And one of the things we talked about was what's going to happen at Kawasaki, because at that time, it it seemed almost certain Johnny was going to leave. And we just had our summer break. It was supposed to be announced that Reading was going to leave BMW, and probably then that was going to be, where is he going to go? As it was, that announcement was held back, and we thought at Most, where is he going to go? And again, there was no announcement at Most. So by the time you went to Silverstone for the British GP, everyone was kind of wondering, where is Scott actually going to filter in? And because no news had happened, he's under contract for next year. So the expect- expectation was that he was going to be out of contract and free to move wherever he wanted. He's not out of contract because he hasn't, he hasn't been released. So for him, he's obviously signed on for another season with BMW. That means he's going to Bonovo. BMW can't afford to replace him because he's earning five, six hundred grand a year. So Loris Baz isn't earning anything like that. So Baz is easy to replace. And for BMW, you've also got it where Scott's the factory rider. He's been more competitive than Baz in recent years. So you put him on that bike. 
Baz then ends up trying to figure out where to go. Will that be on an independent Ducati? It doesn't look like there's going to be too many seats there. So he might end up as a BMW rider being contracted out to BSB or World Endurance or wherever it is mm. next year. So at one stage, it looked like Redding's best option was going to be to move to Kawasaki. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So that's why you think that he's going to end up at Bonovo and Bassani goes to Kawasaki and things like that. So it's one of those strange situations where there's a lot of fluidity in the rider market right now, even if most of the decisions look like they've actually already been made, if not announced. So World Supers is in a little bit of a, a transition period between those moves being announced and then the moves actually happening. In terms of the Honda, he's not really been linked with Honda at all. And part of the reason for that is the riders that have been linked with Honda have been Bassani and Rinaldi. Now, Honda is a strange situation. You're dead right when you say Lekwona, his stock's gone down. And the reason for that is he's had a bad year. You know, he's been outperformed by Xavi Vieira. His head's been turned by MotoGP. He wants to be a Grand Prix rider rather than a superbike rider. So that's what his focus is on. Now, for Honda, like you said, he's won the eight hours. Vieira has won the eight hours. They want to keep both of those riders. But a big reason they want to keep those riders as well is they don't want to lose face. They brought in two two Grand Prix riders to replace two, well, a superbike rider and and Bautista, a rider that yep. has shown, obviously, how good he is on a superbike. So Honda went with two young riders with no superbike experience. They brought in engineers with no superbike experience. They developed yeah. a package that went down the wrong route. Super concessions gave them the chance to be able to change their change their frame last year and this year, and both times they haven't made the right decision with it. So Honda are on a hiding to nothing right now because they keep making decisions based on the Grand Prix paddock and what works there. But what works in MotoGP doesn't necessarily work in World Superbikes. And I think that's one of the things where Honda, with their riders, with their engineers, with the development of that package, all those things are all factors that have worked in the wrong way. And there's very few people, other than probably Vieira, that have actually seen their stock rise over the course of the last two years. And the main reason Javi's stock has risen is he's beaten Lacona. And Vieira wasn't expected for that to happen. So you're always either... You're always either making money or losing money. And right now he's making money because he's doing a better job than his teammate. So that's why he's going to be, well, that's why he is kept on for next season. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting because that Motocorsa seat to me becomes the seat that, you know, like you talk about Baz, if Rinaldi, if Rinaldi takes a, it's, it's weird because it seems like there's going to be one good seat over there available. Now, I don't know if Iannone takes that seat at Motocorsa, if Baz is indeed, if he gets relegated to something else, um, like what, what ends up happening? Cause if, if, if Lekawana was to leave and this is all, this is all depending on what Marquez does. I mean, it's just so wild, isn't it? It's so wild that your paddock is so affected because it looks like there's going to be one, one bike winning capable machine available to somebody, whether I still think the motor Corsa bike, it's shown that it's ran up front. Does, does Ducati come in, and convince Rinaldi to stay within the family or is he just literally cut off or do they come in and say, look, we're going to put you, let's go do the motor course thing. We'll give you a, a small, small wage on the side to convince him to stay at Ducati. Um, is it important enough for Ducati to, to keep Rinaldi there and not lose him to a Honda or does Rinaldi just not care anymore and just, he would go scoop up the Honda ride if it came to him in, in a minute. It's not that it is important to keep Rinaldi there because at the end of the day, if he was important, they would have kept him on the factory. Correct. Yeah. The one thing about it is, if you're Ducati and you've invested so much in Rinaldi from 2016 onwards, he's been a Ducati rider. 
whether that was with the Stock Thousand team, the junior team, placed to uh, Barney at one stage, then go 11, and then made into the factory rider. They've put a lot of resources into him. Now, Already, yeah. They haven't, they haven't gotten the return on that investment in terms of outright results by him, but they're going to win two world championships. So they have got the return. I'm, I said for years that Ronaldo's job isn't to win the championship. It isn't to win a lot of races. It's to ensure that the team leader wins the championship. So mm-hmm. that's why when they replaced Chaz with Scott, everyone was up in arms about it in some ways. But at the end of the day, the decision was made that Chaz had had his chances to win a championship. Now we were going to go with Reading for two years, see if that can happen. Reading wasn't getting it done, so they replaced Reading with Bautista. The number two's job was to back him up, and Ronaldo mm-hmm. has done that over the years. So he did a good job at Ducati, even if it wasn't the job that I think everyone looks at a factory rider and says, you're on the best bike, you need to win lots of races. But now Ducati have a big decision to make. Do you continue to invest in him, or do you move on? I think for Ronaldo, he wants to be a factory rider. Honda give him that chance potentially down mm-hmm. the line. But if he doesn't get the Honda, then Ducati's got a decision to make because the Moto Corsa bike is a good bike to be on. Rinaldi can do a better job with that bike than anyone else. Do you then offer financial support to Moto Corsa to help ensure that Rinaldi's on that bike? You know, it's one of those things that for Ducati, they're not under any incentive to do that. They've like got enough I'm, Ducatis on the grid, right? I'm, They've got enough exactly. people. Yeah. If, if I'm running Ducati's racing division, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, do we want to put in 300 grand to an independent team in World Superbikes when we've already got Bautista on the bike that's going to win a load yeah, of races? 100%. It, it makes no sense to, to offer that support. Yeah. So let me let me also bring this factor in. There's a couple other series that Ducati is interested in. You have the World Endurance Series. And you have some riders on there that are in the Ducati family. Chavi obviously is racing for them. They kept Chaz Davis on board and Chavi races in the States. There are rumors that there's going to be two or three new superbike teams in Moto America next year. And not one of those teams is, mm, how, how do I phrase this? There's not one J- Japanese manufacturer that's interested in any of these teams coming in, right? So you can imagine since KTM doesn't have a bike, it's pretty simple who the other two are. So when you look at a guy like Loris Baz and you say, okay, he's, you know, he's had some value for BMW. Maybe they do like him or whatever. If one of these teams in Moto America, we know that Baz has experience on these tracks. We know he has experience on Dunlop tires. Why would you not bring him here? Why would you not bring a guy like Rinaldi if Ducati ends up having another team, if another customer buys bikes? The problem for Ducati is, as I've been told by Paolo Tribati, is it's a matter of engineering resources. Okay. So they are out of, of data engineers. You know, you, you, you couldn't as a customer go to Corsa and say, uh, I want to have five new Ducatis, even if you had the budget. And, you know, I, I talked to Paolo this year, Steve, he gave me a price. He, you know, he said, this is what it costs to rent our bikes. This is what it costs for, for parts. This is what it costs for an engineer. Uh, you know, the, the, the windows passed. We had to know by the middle of August, you know, to, to, order the bikes. But the biggest problem Ducati has isn't so much building the bikes anymore. It's how do I support the program? Because that's also what like Alpha is doing on the BMW side of things. This is what's quite interesting, actually, because one of the big stories for us in Superbikes this year was about Mark VDS moving into the World Superbike paddock as well. They're going to be Moto2 and World Superbikes next year. 
a world championship winning team, a MotoGP race winning team making this decision is a massive thing. And it's to have that sort of budget in place is obviously huge for Ducati because it shows Ducati you're doing this project right. If you buy Ducatis and you're running them for the year, you do get the support. You get the, whether it's the, the data guys, crew chief, whatever it is, you have the option to bring them in as long as you pay enough money. But people are a finite resource. So you need to make sure that you're able to put the right people into a program like that where VDS are deciding, right, we're investing big in world superbikes. We need to be competitive. So for Moto America to then try and find three more bikes, the bikes are the easy part. The people are the hard part. Yeah, you're trying to run yeah. four new programs in a superbike program for Ducati. So that's really difficult to find those people. That's where it becomes really important to see whether or not there are the personnel to be able to do it. And that's where it's actually been interesting to look at what happened with the VR46 team in MotoGP because all of their crew are all VR46 employees. So in the past, it was always, if you're running Ducatis, you've got to get a lot of red shirts in your pit box. There's not that many red shirts in their pit box. So if you can run it, maybe you are able to run it without the input from from Italy. And given that there's a package that's been around for five years, maybe that's a little bit easier to then organize because there is the data, there is the experience, and it's not quite as mission critical as it would have been in 2019 whenever you had a brand new package. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where everybody kind of ends up moving to. And it's like we said, Stevie, it's going to be all about, um, I think where Marquez goes, it's just, it's incredible. So you guys are off to Aragon this weekend and, um, in Spain, you got back to back weekends, don't you? you go Aragon and then Portugal. Um, I mean, we're going now to a place where top, I don't think top rack has he ever won at Aragon. I can't remember him ever winning there. And, when you saw what happened at, you know, we saw we saw what happened in Magnicor. I mean, it's a track that, that Toprak says he loves. Um, and he's still kind of in with a shout. But do you see anything other than Batista winning all three races at Aragon? I mean, it just seems like he's going to split at that place. Yeah, like at the end of the day, it's Alvaro's track where he's won races by half a second a lap and things like that. So we know he's going to be really strong in Aragon. Mm. Toprak always, he always hated Aragon for a long time. And then a little bit like Top Rack in the West, suddenly it clicked into place and he got to be a lot more competitive in Aragon. Last year, he had podiums in all three races, but podiums aren't enough for Top Rack. At the end of the day, he's chasing down a big points deficit. So he's got to be in a position to take big chunks of points out. We've only got three rounds left. So nibbling away, you know, two points around, three points around, like it's been in the last while, isn't going to be enough for Top Rack. You're going to go to Alvaro's best track that he could go to right now is going to be Aragon. Portimao, he's very strong at as well. And then Jerez will be a, a little bit more of a toss-up, but the championship's going to be decided before we get to Jerez. So yeah. it's one of those situations that right now, if you're a top rack, you're just trying to make sure you can win as many races before you finish off your time at Yamaha, because even though I'm pretty convinced that he's going to win races whenever we go, we see him on the BMW, it's not going to be a case of winning six, seven, eight races a year right. like he's gotten used to at Yamaha. I know I had it in my I had it in my notes here about what top racks over under is to win races next year and Johnny's also you know if you were if you were a gambler like an addictive gambler like Greg um, he'd probably be like wanting to to gamble on this stuff um, but we're not if like you're new that, to this podcast please. folks so Jason's um, shit 
Yeah, well, that's nice. But what What are you giving as the over under on those win totals, then, Jay? Well, I I honestly looked at it like both riders. To me, like I think that um, I think Johnny has a better chance of winning than than Top Rack, especially at the beginning of the year. But I had Top Rack at four and a half as far as over under wins. Like, well, hold on, take- hold on, Jay. Let Let me say, Steve, are there is there any Anything in the wind about any rule changes that might be coming around, you know, during the off season that would balance these bikes a little bit or yeah, or nerf the Ducati at all? There is a lot of talk about what's going to happen next year. Like what's been interesting is obviously Ducati's lost a lot of revs through the course this year so far. They're down seven fifty revs. I'd be shocked if they don't lose another two fifty as well. So they'll be down a thousand revs. Kawasaki's been boosted their revs and then they've been able to make changes to their engine as well to allow them to take advantage of those extra revs so what's going to happen is those decisions don't really make a big impact on this year because for yamaha and for kawasaki the changes that they've happened to their bikes don't really allow them to maximize that right now ducati for next year if they're down a lot of revs and the other guys are up revs it'll allow you to change your gear ratios and different things to be able to take advantage of it i think all the changes that we're seeing for engine revs in this year are actually there to help for next year and then we're going to have a new i would imagine a new rules package for next year where we're going to have something along the lines of if a ducati costs 45 50 grand whatever it costs and you know for argument's sake a kawasaki cost i think it's 25 grand 22 and a half you're grand. talking about base model for the bike base model bikes for the homologation yeah, yeah. bike yeah. so this is the, at the end of the day, the rules are there that you can't have a bike that costs two hundred thousand euros. It has to cost, I think, it's a maximum of either forty-five or fifty thousand euros. So, if you're a consumer and you spend fifty grand on something, and your alternative option is to spend twenty grand, guess yeah. what? If you spend if you spend a thirty grand difference, you're expecting there's going to be a little bit of a benefit for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Right. You need you need to have some way of being able to balance that out. The Kawasaki is a ten-year-old bike at this stage, so. We need to have it where that bike's more competitive. An allowance needs to be made. And people can look at World Superbikes, and and people do. They laugh at it for the prospect of, oh, but all you're doing is equalizing performance. Well, guess what? That's what's happened in all the other championships. Yeah. And they need to do the same in World Superbikes now because everything is a production-based bike. It's not a case of being able to say to Kawasaki, right, you need to bring a new model out because otherwise you're not going to be competitive. That costs 20 million euros to do. So if you're not able to recoup that value, a manufacturer will easily just say, do you know what? It's not worth our while to be here. We need to keep them happy and allow us to have more competitive racing. Because if you think back to, say, 2020, when we had Reading, Ray, and Razgari Ogli on three different bikes, all of them working so differently to each other, but we had the best racing I've ever seen. That's what I want to get back to. You know, one of the things for me that racing obviously... You know, there's a purist in, in all of us that we want to see the fastest guy win. We want to see the best bike win. We want to see all those things. But guess what happens whenever the best bike and the best rider win every weekend by 10 seconds? No one watches. <laughs> oh, we know. We know. So yeah, we know. This is, yeah. this, this is the, the balance that you have to have. And for me, <laughs> I want to see it where we've got close racing because all yeah. of these riders now are absolute top level. We got, I would say, the top 18 riders in World Superbikes every single week they can race in MotoGP and they're not going to disgrace themselves. They can jump on any bike and they're going to be competitive. I think mm. we've got a really good depth of field, but in terms of the resources that each manufacturer puts into it, that's a different story. And Ducati do a great job. Can't take anything away from them. They're going to win the Supersport and Superbike Championships this year. But am I enjoying having to commentate in these races? 
not as much as whenever I had three riders at the front on different bikes yeah. all being very competitive. So for me, I hope that we do make some sort of changes to the regs. I hope that next year everyone's able to get more competitive and, and that we have it a bit closer. So JP, you're four and a half wins for top rack. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be honest, I'd be setting the market at three and a half wins for top rack. I'd, yeah. be, setting the market at eight, I'd be setting the market at eight and a half wins for Johnny. Wow, eight and a half. I, I would go... Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you set the under on Ray, and I agree with that. Eight and a half for Johnny. I had Johnny at like six and a half, only because I feel like he'll be a little bit more competitive initially. Then I have it literally written down right here in front of me, four and a half and six and a half. And it's, um, I think it's just going to be interesting. And I think that we're talking about for those out there. I'm talking about if everybody finishes. I mean, obviously we can't really we can't really predict whose bike's going to break or who's going to tip off or any of that stuff. I just think head to head fights. There'll be a couple places, but Top Rack hasn't even won. Five races this year? Has he won five or six this year? Mm-hmm. So it's hard hard to know even where where you know Top Rack would be this year. He's, he's, he's won less. So I I guess in closing, Stevie, the last question I have that I have written down here is Bulaga. I don't really find him being that battle-tested in Supersport. I don't know if he's the guy for Ducati in that second seat. And we've talked about how the second seat is kind of a riding shotgun to the main guy, which is Batista in this case. But I think... For me, I, I just don't rate Bulaga. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see him up against, you know, the animals that are in World Superbike right now, where there's just give, you know, there's no give or take. And, um, you know, I, I realize that he's only really had to battle with Monzi this year, who I think's done a good job on the R6. But um, is Bulaga the right guy for that job? For me, he, it's not whether he's the right guy or the wrong guy for the job. His job is to be the backup to Bautista. So. He's going to be fine for that because Alvaro is going to win a lot of races. But is Budoga the future for Ducati? I don't see it because this is a guy that he came into Moto3 with a lot of expectation. He'd been the CEV champion, the junior Moto3 world champion in 2015. And then he, you know, the expectation was he was going to jump onto the VO46 bike. He was going to be really good in Moto3. He was going to then move up through the ranks and be, you know, a star rider. This was at the start of the VO46 team and everyone thought like right he's done the job in the spanish championship now let's see what he can do going forward but it's one of those situations where even when he won the spanish championship that seemed more impressive than it actually was because as ever whenever you're working in moto gp or world Superbikes, or if you're only working on the superbike class in moto america you wouldn't be paying that much attention to some of the classes below you people weren't really paying that much attention to cev back then so they saw Bulaga as the championship winner that had points in every race. I think he was top five pretty much the whole season. But what they didn't see was Juan Mir missed four races that year. Aaron Cannon missed three or four races as well. Masia was young and inconsistent. So he won the championship, but he wasn't the best rider in that championship that year. Mm. And then he moved to Moto3. He had a couple of podiums in Moto3. Everyone kind of thought, do you know what? Maybe he's just a bit too big for Moto3. Let's see what he does on a Moto2 bike. And again, mm. he was with the VO46 team. He was with Grassini. He had three years in Moto2. And I don't remember him having a top five finish in Moto2. I think his best finish yeah. was sixth or seventh. So yeah. in Moto2, he wasn't a front-running top guy in Moto2. Now, either was Andrea Locatelli. You know, so yeah. Locke has turned himself into a very good superbike rider. So yeah. Bulaga might be able to do something similar. But if you're looking at it from straight-up results, you know, Budig has got this seat because he's on the best bike in the moto in the super sport class, and he's done a great job there. But 
Am I expecting a lot from him next year? Not really. I think that he's going yeah. to have some good races. He'll get you know a few podiums because he's going to be on the factory Ducati seat. But I'm not really expecting too much from him. I'm interested to see what happens with you know, like I was saying, with EDS stepping up. What happens with Sam Lowe's and the comparison that you're going to see with Bulaga, and that will mm-hmm. be an interesting little subplot for for Ducati next year. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Well. I know I'm going to get to see you in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited to see you in Portugal. And uh, I hope you have a great weekend in Aragon. And as usual, you know, Greg and I really appreciate the fact that you take time to come on here and hang out with us uh, on the show. Oh, well, at the end of the day, I had no choice. The Santa Barbara Senior <laughs> Open champion was on this uh, yes, call. So, exactly. you know, I needed to keep up to date on that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, you, you just want to be able to play Sadako again. I know. Well, I'll get it. Don't worry about it, Tati. I'll get it. That's, I'll get that's, it. that's the bonus. That's the bonus he gets here, G-Dub. I take care of him when he comes out this way. So that's that's our payment to Stevie. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, golf, the golf talk. Anything else, Steve, before we cut you loose? Do you want to talk about the Baldor a little bit? I know that Chavi Flores took a big hit. So it's going to be interesting to see how he feels uh, in a couple of days at Jersey. Yeah, the ball door was an interesting one. Like I've covered World Endurance all the way through this season, so I've done all four rounds, and it's been an interesting championship. And even this weekend, there was a lot that happened with it. I thought it was interesting that Yart finally won the World Endurance Championship. Yeah, Jay, why did you just do that? <laughs> what is that? Why did you just do, do that? What did I do? You went... You went I was like, why? Well, after he said Yart won the World Championship. Because they've been trying forever. Yeah, yeah. Like what Steve says, like honestly, like Steve disappeared. I don't know what's going on on my screen, by the way, right now. But yeah, he's um, back. He's back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because um, Steve, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, if, if we lost you for a second, but Yart has been trying since I have been around, and they did win back in the day with like Steve Martin and that. But you always see the the, the team that they have are incredible, and they're always fast everywhere they go, everywhere they go. But something always seems to snake bite the Yart team. Well, this was what was interesting this year was last year they couldn't start a bike. So at the start of every race, they'd lose 15 positions. At every pit stop, they'd lose a couple of seconds just trying to get the bike started. This year, issues befell their opponents more than them, and they've been able to pick up the win. But I thought that it was just one of those feel-good stories to see a team put so much in. They've had three riders that have been together for, I think it's five seasons, and they've been knocking on the door, always being quick, always being consistent. And uh, for the riders, it was really good to see that. Obviously, the Baldor was was it was a strange race because it's a twenty four hour race and safety cars, lots of different things came into play, and it ended up stretching out pretty early. So then you're looking for different stories all the way through the field. The BMW, the Yoshimura bike, all those things were good. The DSR Honda hit troubles. The world champions retired in the middle of the race, and then suddenly everyone had a top three in the championship to play for. So Yoshimura ended up winning the race. That's good for Silvan Gantoli. A nice sign-off for him from that team before he moves. It looks like he's going to be the BMW test rider next year for World Superbike, so he'll probably race World Endurance for them next year. So it's nice to see that he was able to win on his on his final outing for Suzuki. BMW end up top three in the World Championship. So you know we've got four different manufacturers in the top four. You've got all the different tire brands. There's lots of things to keep World Endurance interesting. And this was this was an, another race where we got to see that. So I thought it was just nice to be able to cover the full season this year as well. I think the last few years I've only done one or two rounds, so it was good to be able to do the full season. 
Yeah, Speaking nice. of Gintoli, how foolish is Honda not to go out and grab him and at least add him to the stable with Brottle? I mean, you know, obviously people are now talking about Pedroza in MotoGP because he nearly podiums on the KTM and clowns basically most of the field. And so the chatter is, right, Steve, like, oh, yeah, you know, Pedroza should have been the, the Honda test rider and all that kind of stuff. And I think Brottle's doing a really good job, but obviously Gintoli... I mean, even even Yamaha, even even Quateraro said uh, in a recent quote that the Yamaha that they're riding is still isn't as fast as the 2022 Suzuki was. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you know what the thing that I find interesting about it all? We all obviously look at it and see, oh, he's a top rider, good test rider. We need to have him on the bike. The issue for Honda isn't riders because everyone jumps onto that bike and they all have the same issues. They don't listen to the rider, so it's an engineering led problem and they need mm. to be better back in base to be able to develop a package because as much as we want to say that you know yamaha listened to valentino rossi in 2004 or you know ducati with rider xyz has been able to do a really good job engineers make their decisions based on numbers and they're as proud if not more proud than riders about their job so they'll just they'll just follow their their path until they're told not to Honda have always been an engine-led con- company. And, you know, their issue is a philosophical problem right now rather than we need to hire more riders, we need to hire better riders. They've got Mark Marquez on the bike. They've got the best rider there's ever been. So how much more? How much difference no, no, what no. does a test no, rider no. make? I don't think it makes any difference. <laughs> I think that no, no. Their, their problem is just that they've gone, down the, they've gone down the wrong path and it's going to take a long time for them to recover. And it's going to take them that long time because whether it's this year or whether it's next year, they're not going to have Mark Marquez on the bike in 18 months' time in all likelihood. So they're going to lose their biggest asset. So you need to be able to to find the right solutions on the bike to be able to, to develop that package. Take it back, Steve. Mark is not the best rider there's ever been. No, There's no shot. Here we go. Who are you saying? Who are you saying? Valentino. No 100%. chance. No chance. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because, go. and I will make this argument till I'm till I'm dead. There's been nobody who's been adapted their riding style better than Valentino. He has gone from two strokes with no no TC, developed traction control in two strokes. He goes to nine nineties to eight hundreds to thousands, and got into like the only thing he really missed was was a ton of arrow. But even he got arrow. And the guy's the best rider. Marquez has done it by going 100% grip, 100% throttle since he started. He's an amazing rider. I'm not saying he's not, especially when it comes to saving stuff. His luck was great. It's run out. But Valentino is the best rider of all time if you take everything into consideration. There you go. This is gonna. This is a whole other podcast now. Yeah. And do you know what? <laughs> it's an argument I'm not going to get into with you as well, Greg, because you're just you're just wrong. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's Mark. It. It's Mark. How long have we the, been married, the best Steve? rider. Well, been... you know, this is what happens eventually. You know, you, yeah, get, into, know. Yeah. you get into your first I little fight, and then you recover yeah. from it. Like if I, if it was up to me, it's it's like Casey was always for me the number one until until it was Mark because I thought Stoner was just a better pure rider than Rossi. Fair play. Rossi's longevity makes him amazing. All of the things that he brought to the sport make him the most impactful rider there's ever been but uh, for me it's it's mark then it's casey then it's rossi and if you were a team manager you wouldn't you wouldn't have any qualms taking any of them in their prime but 
No, It'll, exactly. Plus, plus Mark, how many Mark, times did Rossi destroy someone's career? How many times did Rossi say you'll never win a race again and they never true, did? I'm telling you, it's the true. best of all time. And who destroyed And you're career? talking about Mark, you're talking Mark about what? You're talking about yeah. Silverstone in the rain 2000. Okay? He's a rookie. And everyone knew he was trash in the rain I, on a was, 125 was, and on a 250. It was Donington. And he went out so, and reeled you know, everybody you, already, in from like a 15th place start oh and won his first God, race. listen to you two. You sound Even like Even beat the married. world champion, the rain master, Kenny Roberts Jr. I'm just saying. I'm Joe, just saying. The other one thing I'll say, right? I remember Valencia yeah. 2012. Mark was a Moto2 rider at that stage. At uh, the Sunday debrief, we were chatting to Cal Crutch. So when Crutch said, Mark is already the best rider in the world, and he'll jump on that MotoGP bike tomorrow, and he'll be the best MotoGP rider in the world straight away. And I went out to the long left-hander at the end of the lap, and it was during the test, so Mark had to track to himself. Within a half an hour, the first couple of laps that he came past, he was already putting himself into a body position that was like no one else, and he immediately changed how you could ride a MotoGP bike, and he was fast from the get-go, he was he was amazing, and that's why for me he's so special. Because I stood there, he jumped onto Casey's bike, and I'd been working on MotoGP the whole way through 2012. So you're used to seeing Stoner, who for me had been that benchmark, and then suddenly Marks jumped onto the bike and was doing things that Casey wasn't doing. And I thought, you know what, Marks just he's just special. And then nothing dissuaded me from 2013 onwards. If you were able to come in as Danny Pedrosa's teammate and make Danny irrelevant after two or three rounds in Honda's eyes. I think that says it all about him. All right. I've had enough of this discussion. Let's cut him <laughs> loose. I listen your points are valid, obviously. And the, the argument of who's the greatest of all time is the dumbest argument ever, right? Yeah. Because you can't compare Tom Never Brady to it. Joe Montana. You can't do it. They're, di- they're different, different times, different skill sets, different training regimens, different, you know, you know, as you get moving along, you have advancements in technology. So, my point without question is valid. Rossi goes one year, wins a championship, goes to 250, one year, wins a championship, one year, wins a championship, and did it on such a variety of bikes, a variety of electronics, all that kind of stuff. That to me, you know, I mean, Agassini needs to be in that conversation too. He did it on a variety of motorcycles as well, different sizes. Marquez has done it pretty good. Yeah, electronics. And oh, Mark whatever. has done it pretty good. That's good, G-Dub. That's pretty a good, good argument. Mark yeah. has done it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. All Stevie? right. Anything else, Steve, while we have you here? No, that's everything. Good good as ever to be on the pod with you guys and a uh, chance to catch up. Throat lozenges. Love having you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll pick them up when I come to Portugal, G-Dub. I'll get them from Stevie for you. Steve English has saved my commentating career, much to the dismay of a lot of you who are listening. I understand that, but uh, that's true. Yes. In the early days Very when true. I was going really big with my voice, Steve saved my voice. There's a couple couple Sundays, Steve, where I sounded like this, and it was not good. All wow, for well, you know a close junior cup race. So yeah, yeah. That, that's the beauty of the lozengers. But uh, cheers, boys! <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. It's nice to see the, Thanks, the America season is going to finish up, and then you've got GP in the morning with your breakfast. Go do your work right. and then watch World Supers whenever you finish. So it's perfect. That's day. right. It's perfect. Oh, yeah. Day for all us. the while, there's going to be some. All also, the while, NFL is going to be open because JP is going to bet on the Eagles. And it, trust me, it's just a busy weekend. Just, just so that you know as well, before I leave, you boys are terrible at fantasy. You're lagging way behind. <laughs> Dude, I'm doing we rubbish, suck. but you're you're nowhere. 
So wow, that's perfect. <laughs> no, really. Where are you sitting in MotoGP fantasy? Yeah, where, where are you sitting? sitting? I'm sitting there. I think I'm 38th on the the Greg's oh, Garage geez. podcast table. I'm mm. I'm I'm, I'm, about, I'm giving up about 14 or 15 points around to. Well, well, well hold on, hold on. How many turbos have you used? I've used one. And you gave me you gave me abuse for using it as well. I used it at the first round on Paco, and he came away with a maximum score. So as long as you use it at the right time, it doesn't matter when you use it. That's right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It's all right. That's true. It's all right. All right. Fair valid. I'm just play. saying, if I have that, you know, what's that stupid thing in F1 that they have the little turbo boost thing that they have? What's that thing called? The, the DRS or the DRS or some DRS, bullshit yeah. thing they have going on. Yeah, that's what I'm I'll saying. Tell you I'm what. saying I'm, if I if I can save my three DRSs to the last lap, that's what I'm doing. Just a little boom. You, you know, boom, you know boom, what boom. though? You know huh? what, Greg? I would what? almost offer you double points for every week left, and you're still not going to come up the table that much. Wow. I am the it's administrator, true. bro. I can add points to my. <laughs> no, I, <can't. laughs> I know some people at Moto. I know the guy who runs the whole fantasy at Moto at Dorna. I'm just How's saying. How's that worked out for you this year? Uh, yeah, it's rotten. It's absolutely rotten. <laughs> Steve, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Have a great travels and a great weekend. We'll be watching this weekend, so don't don't say something stupid on TV. I tend to do my best to say something <laughs> stupid, so I'll just leave it with. See you later, guys. All right, JP, as he's gone, let's talk a little bit about uh, Moto America this weekend because we have New Jersey coming up. It's We kind of talked about it before. We have a couple of new you know, riders in, in Junior Cup. Obviously, Revit Twins Cup is going to be absolutely packed with people. You have Chavi Forez. We don't know his condition. He's coming around, you know, banged up or whatever, and an opportunity for some some riders there, possibly. Because uh, it's really, at this point, other than two classes, our biggest talking point, I think, is going to be Michigan King of the Baggers. We have an yeah. unbelievable championship. We have two points difference there. How do you see this Baggers situation playing out, even though you're not a weather person? Well, I think the Baggers in the rain are going to be really interesting. We saw them last year in the rain at Jersey, and I think Kyle ended up winning, and Boy, you've got three riders there. They're all within a shout of trying to win this championship, and it's the closest championship we've we've had in in a lot of our championships, Greg. When you think about it, um, I was going back and thinking, when was the last time we had a real shootout? And that's what we have in Baggers right now. Probably the craziest race of the year in Baggers was race two at Coda. I mean, there was just so much stuff going on there, and and um, uh, you know, Raspoli ended up coming out on top. I mean, with Travis falling on the last lap, that even shook up the points in certain ways. There's just a number of storylines when you come into the baggers that I think everybody's going to be paying attention to. And it's funny, you know, it's been put on the schedule for months and months now that it's the last race on Sunday is baggers. And we are potentially going to go down to the wire at Moto America with our, our last race of the year that you and I call is going to also decide a championship. So, you know, in a class for me, that uh, when it initially started, it intrigued me because of the personalities. Now I'm intrigued because you've got three riders going for a championship at the end that have all had their ups and downs this season. And um, I think it's uh, Gillum coming in with like a two point lead over Raspoli, and I think I think Hayden has an 11 point lead over Kyle. It's anybody's. I mean, you got to win. You have to win. And, and Jay, uh, they're all good. They're all good at Jersey. You know, Jersey's not the most complicated, but one thing we know about Kyle is Kyle had a superbike podium at New Jersey, right? That's like right. he he rolls really good at Jersey. So it's going to be a spectacular weekend. And if you throw the rain in the mix, then all bets are off. Yeah. And I mean that's just the thing. And you got Bobby Fong and you got Tyler O'Hara and McWilliams, you got you got other spoilers that can be there to 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 get involved with our with our main players. So it's not unlike that of Twins Cup. Twins Cup's going to be insane as well. Um, 
because we have three riders there going for it too, Greg. And I don't have the points pulled up in front of me, but I know it's super close. And you know that the the one guy that I worry about the most in Twins Cup is Rocco because Rocco, you know, is not a big fan of riding in the wet, as we've said before, and as he, you know, as he's shown us. And it's I think for Rocco, it's going to be a big test of his mental. This kid has more bike control than than I mean, he's got so much incredible bike control. Uh, I would think it would be tailor made for riding in the wet and not being worried about it. So I think for him, um, he's got to put himself in a place mentally where he can go there thinking, Hey, it's going to be wet. Every session that it's wet is a session that he needs to go out in and, and work on. So twins cup again is going to be another crazy championship. And with the wild cards that we talked about earlier, getting thrown in there, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, again, it's going to come down to the wire in that championship as well. It's not a race that you and I call, but we'll be watching it. No, we'll be watching. 14 points. So Gus Rodeo's got eight over Blake Davis. Rocco's got 14 points deficit to Gus Rodeo, yeah. his teammate, which has been a very interesting story this year as he filled in. Now you're going to have Ben Glotty in the mix as well. If Ben Glotty ends up coming out of the box and super fast and rides for the same exact team that these two are racing in, he's got to yeah. have a difficult choice to make as to what he's going to be able to do as well. Right. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And don't forget this Italian kid on the Yamaha bike. If it does rain, you know, that we're racing all those He'll races there. in Europe. They're all, they're all about it. So what about, we haven't got, I haven't got it yet. I don't, I don't have the entry list yet. Um, we have one that was updated like six days ago. So I haven't, haven't seen anything currently. And I know so that we don't know if Chavi's on there. We don't know if he's on there or not. Yeah. Yeah, in Supersport? Yeah, I don't know. Or I don't know if he's going to be Superbike or if he's going to just yeah. ride Supersport. I don't know if he's okay. going to miss a round because he's hurt. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. We were we were chatting this morning, and he didn't mention anything about it. So, and meaning on, on Instagram, because he posted that thing about, you know, the French guy, Greg White. LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. Greg LeBlanc. Yep. So, we were chatting up LeBlanc. a little bit, and we were just having a good yeah. laugh about it. But So, I don't know. That's going to be uh, That's going to be something to look at as well. Yeah, I think all of it's, you know, it's it's going to be a fun weekend. Jersey's, again, I, the reason I love Jersey for me personally is the fans. Everybody's, it's so crazy. And we usually get a big crowd in the paddock for the final race. And, um, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, I think that we might even see a schedule for 2024 soon. So I'm excited to see what's on the horizon for Moto America um, going into next year. And like you said with Steve just now, with the possibility of some new teams getting involved, there are riders out there on the market right now that are going to be looking for rides, even from overseas. And I think if we can get a little bit more of that flavor, you know, we've got Chavi over here now that looks like he wants to stay obviously next year. Where before we had Baz here for a year, then he left. We had Petrucci here for a year, then he left. I think Chavi will stay. And if we get any new opportunities for riders, I've heard of some teams that are thinking of moving up to Superbike, some good solid teams right now. So, I mean, moving forward, I think it's going to be, good for our future so um you know a lot of great things happening this weekend in new jersey yeah and we can't sure. wait to bring it to you on the motor yeah. side of things jay they go to a racetrack nobody's ever been to before in india yeah and there was a video that motogp.com posted and they kind of asked riders last i think it was the last time they were together who they thought was going to win you know a few people picked peco but there were some other people in there that thought you know look jack miller's good at picking up tracks some of the guys did the right thing like you know and said myself you know, like Brad Binder said, I want to win it. You know, uh, Vinjala said he wants to win it. The one thing that is interesting about this whole scenario that people were talking about is the fact that this track, I think it's called the Buddha track, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that, is that it, it doesn't get a lot of activity on it. So the chances are that 
the grip's going to be low, and that's where we know the Aprilia shines with, with in low grip yeah. conditions. I, it's so weird when you hear about these racetracks that are built that they spend multiple millions of dollars on and they don't get used. I mean, we hear that about the Indonesian track. And every time these guys go to Indonesia, the track is absolute shit. It's garbage. It's dirty. You see a line that's about four feet wide, six feet wide that these guys can ride on. And they can't get off line because they're so compromised. I It blows me away. And if India is anything like that, um, it's going to be a shame because I looked at the track layout and it looks great. It, the track layout itself looks good. I don't give anybody an advantage when it comes to learning racetracks and things because these guys are all amazing at learning racetracks. They're all top of their craft. And it's not something that I think is is that key. They're all going well, you know, to figure out You know what's funny, Jay, is that yeah. the conversation has turned from riders learning the racetrack because you're right. They're all at this level. The learning now comes in the teams and the engineers. Engineers. So yeah. it's quality of laps that these guys are going to get. And then the ability yeah. for these teams, because that's where Quattararo thought that he might have an advantage, was he feels that his team is going to be able to learn quicker and apply those, you know, like apply those lessons that they learned a lot quicker. And so that's really, I think, the where the conversation has changed more so than the rider themselves. And as Steve mentioned, it's becoming a lot more engineer dependent these days especially with arrow and all this kind of crap. And if you Ducati and you have eight data points, you have eight bikes that are going to give you input. That's either going to help you be quicker with making decisions on a direction, or it's going to hurt you because if you have eight riders giving you completely different information, you might get bogged down in, in a direction to go. So it's going to be a fun weekend. I think it'll be very interesting to see how that all turns out. Uh, you know, and as we get deeper into this MotoGP season, which we still have plenty of racing to go, we still have our MotoGP fantasy league going on. As Steve English mentioned, he's crushing us both. We both stink, but it's yeah, great garage pod with Jason Pridmore. If you want to look us up, that's free. Uh, you know, the winner of the, of the fantasy at the end of the year gets set at Dunlop Q5 and an awry helmet. And then you get Q5s for second place and Q5Ss for third. And someone, if you participate, doesn't matter if you're at the top or whatever. We haven't decided yet. Someone is going to get a day with Jason Pridmore, one-on-one instruction. And trust me when I tell you, you will take what you learn with you for the rest of your life. It is mm. not just a monetary value. It has value beyond all that. Nah, all right. That'll be fine. Well, we, we still got to figure it out. But yeah. Yeah, maybe you still go to Jeff White's get- there and you could, you could hang out with Jeff White too. Oh, he's the best. Jeff's great. What about, uh, how, what are we doing our podcast next week? All right. So the situation is after when do you Jersey, go home? I, when do you go home? After I'm Jersey? done. I'm home for five weeks. So I, I are you may home? not go home. Do you go, are you going Monday Sunday morning night. or Sunday night? You're I'm driving. Leave Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'll be home Sunday night. Oh, you were thinking you want to try to bring the gear and do it Sunday no, night? No, no, no. Uh, I'm thinking we'll Monday be, morning. We'll, we'll be destroyed. So yeah, because I leave Thursday and I don't come home for two weeks. So I've got quite oh, a little two week trip. Yeah, you leave Thursday this week, Thursday. Yeah, and then you're you're okay. So. Then what's your? Do you have time Monday morning to do it? You think? Yeah, I'd have to do it Monday morning. I got a crazy, that crazy good schedule. So I, All right, so I we'll, leave this we'll Thursday. I'm in Jersey morning. on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. and I got to take. I take off on. Uh, I take off Monday evening for Portugal. Okay. So go over there for World Superbike, and then um, your boys David and Simon and Tyler are all going to meet me in uh, Portugal, and uh, we're going to be there for World Superbike. Then we're going to go ride Jerez for three days. So I mean, you'll be, be on the East Coast, so we'll be able to get up early and bang it out because you got to get out of your hotel yeah. room, right? Yeah. Yep, 100%. So we could do it okay. Monday morning. How far is your drive? Uh, seven, I think. It's uh, not, so yeah. it's not it's normally feel. Sunday nights. Like the, my whole thing is getting through DC, getting south and getting yeah. through Washington, DC. 
So yep. if if I hit that at a decent hour, I just bomb. You know, I, I go all right from there. We're going to have so much to cover, and I don't know if we're going to be able to watch all the races by Monday morning, but, yeah, we'll have a go at it and see what it's like and uh, go from there. We can, yeah. You know what we can do, Jay, is we can just, like, assign each other races to watch. So, you know what I mean? Yep. So say, okay, like, you're going to watch – like, I'll watch Moto3 – you know what I mean? You watch this, whatever, and we'll we'll figure it out. We'll get them all we'll covered one out. way or another. We'll probably watch MotoGP and World Superbike in our, you know, at some point anyways. But, hey, listen, everybody, if you're coming to Jersey, final race of the year, enjoy your time there. Say hi to G-Dub and I. It's been really fun getting to meet a lot of the fans and people that listen to the podcast throughout the year at our races. I can't believe we're going to the last race of the year, Greg. It's happened just like that. It's happened, hasn't it? So, Greg and I are going to be uh, going to be there, and um, looking forward to seeing everyone. Be safe driving up, G Dub, and I will see you Friday morning. All right, everybody, take care. See you later. <laughs>